there's no better course. So, and cross country skiing is meant to be hard. Uh, really fun race. And hi, I'm Rosie Frankowski from AP. See, here we have with the hero Bjorn Daly. That's the great thing about sport. Make it rain. Make make it rain. You play to win. It is. I mean, that's that's our sport. So. Toughen up, train harder, and get in that pack and make it rain. Make it rain. Make it, make it rain. Whoa, 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 whoa. Ajay, wrong one. Yeah, get the Zach Ketterson one. No, the, the file three down. No, not that one. No, not that one either. Gosh. Need a new interim producer. Yeah, that one. That one. What builds mental toughness is confidence. It's doing the hard workouts. We're talking about practice, man. Week after week, effectively, and using those hard workouts to train. That's the great thing about You get paid for 82. You play to win. Stings the nostrils in a good way. No! And I don't care if you don't have any win. No! You go play to win. I had to wait till my dad fell asleep so I could steal his keys. You ready? I was born ready. They don't pay you to play 70. They pay you to play 82. They call me the freak, man. You know what kind of stamina you gotta be? You know what kind of shape you gotta be? You know what's gotta be in your heart? Because I'm a freak of nature. To play 82? First of all, skis need 60% of the time, it works every time. Get some facts and come back and see me. Boy, that escalated quickly. You know, honestly, I just, I wanted the 1500 mile <laughs> to be my event. Oh, good for you. That does make sense. You know, it's like the whole point of running is like to test the limits of the human body. Striving to be better. If we played them 10 times, they might win nine. You see today, just keep your eyes glued to the TV. See, the sad thing about a guy like you is in 50 years, you're going to start doing some thinking on your own, and you're going to come up with the fact that there are two certainties. I like waking up to the smell of bacon. I mean, how silly is that? Slow down. The Twins are going to win the World Series. Well, now that you got through that, welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast, the largest and fastest growing Nordic ski specific podcast in all of Lake County. Population, maybe 2,000? I don't know. We're glad you're here. We know why you came, so we're going to get right to it. We're not going to waste any time uh, having me rant and rave about anything. I do want to let you know that I had a couple of 30-minute podcasts that remain unpublished, so I actually did spare the internet you, our listeners, all of those hot takes that are now old and worn out. So anyway, today on the show, we got a special guest, Zach Hederson, the man, the myth, the legend. You know, I like to use that phrase liberally, but this time I think it really applies in a special way. Kedersen has emerged this year in the World Cup in period one, and he is excited for the upcoming races in Davos. So we asked him about that, what he's learned in the first three weekends in Scandinavia. We also kind of peppered him with some random questions about development. Uh, let's see, what else did we talk about? Uh, oh, I asked him I asked him a few questions about skis. So those of you tech nerds out there who are like, what's better, Fisher, Rozzy, Mazus? Ketterson's bet on all three. He had some good things to say about that. I also talked to him 
asked him some questions about the guys team, the U.S. ski team. We hear a lot about the camaraderie on the girls' side. Well, what's the guys like? Who's the leader of the crew there? So he answered all that and a little bit more, too. So hope you enjoy the show. And here is the interview. But yeah, yeah. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm just in Davos here with Gus is in the back here. We're in our little room together. And uh, we got here yesterday. So just getting ready for the race on Sunday. Okay. Are are you not racing Saturday then? No, I I hopped in that sprint in Bite to Solon last week because JC had like a pretty bad cold. But I think he'll probably be better by this weekend. So just the distance race, 20K interval start skate. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, yeah, I I definitely, I have like a few questions here. I was going to ask you tied right to this season at the end, you know, if we have time, we can kind of talk about other general things too, hopefully. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, so kind of starting at starting it off here, you're three weeks in to period one. Um, How do you feel like, uh, you know, what are your major takeaways, I guess, from, the first three week weekends of the world cup. Uh, I feel like there's been a, a lot of mixed feelings, like definitely some results that I'm happy with, but a lot of races where I feel like a little adjustment here or there would have made it a lot better. Um, just like little stuff, like in, you know, the, that 20 K pursuit in Lillehammer, like I fell on the last lap and then the race was pretty much over or, you know, last week, the 10K and bite to stolen, like going out so fast that I'm like, you know, in the lead at 3K and just like end up blowing up and just thinking, oh, I could have, you know, obviously gone a little slower and maybe that would have been a good race. Just like these little things that because, um, you know, it's it's like actually so few races when you zoom out and look at it that it's, it's frustrating when you kind of like mess up a few here and there with just like sort of rookie mistakes. But um, at the same time, like I, I think that's like part of the experience here is just like learning the world cup and learning period one how these courses work and like from that standpoint i think it's been really good like if i come back and do period one next year i feel like this has been a really good learning experience and by all means like i think i'm happy with the body and this and my skis and things i think things look really good for the rest of the season but for sure there's been like a little bit of frustration at times and I mean, yeah, is that margin of error something that even like a really high level collegiate skier would just have no clue the difference between a little mistake here at a yeah. you know, NCAA meet versus the World Cup? Is that something that's kind of been a shock or been other shocks too, where it's like, oh, holy crap. Yeah, you can't even do anything. Yeah, no, that's definitely just like a how the World Cup is, I think, especially it seems like this year, especially even without the Russians, there's so much depth on the guys field. Like, if you look at some of these 10Ks, the margins are just, like, crazy. Like, I was, you know, 26th in the Lillehammer 10K skate and 31st in Ruka in the 10K Classic. And in both of those races, like, 6 or 12 seconds in either direction is, like, 10, 15 spots. So, you know, you you look at a race where it's like, oh, I was 31st, like, not, you know, amazing. But then you're like, oh, shit, like, 10 seconds faster and I would have been – 18th so like (laughs) you see just sort of the margins for the error here it's just like crazy I mean I feel like for sure in super tour or especially in like a college race you you don't really have to think that critically about your performances a lot of the times because you can just go out there ski really hard and you're gonna usually win or at least have a good day Um, but here it's like you can just like sniff at the wrong time and you lose 10 (laughs) spots you know 
<laughs> so I think that's it's it's something that's really impressive to me, like how the best guys are consistently so good. Like they have to be so dialed in so many different areas. And it's pretty impressive that, you know, their level is that high and they have the experience to just be like so consistently dialed. Um, but that's that's where I've, I've definitely felt my inexperience a bit at this level in terms of like some of those frustrations, just doing stupid stuff that costs you a bunch of places for stuff that like should have been in your control. Yeah. And that's, that's something I'm starting to realize as I watch really high level skiing and then compete in really low level skiing. I can see how like the, the progression there is like one thing I, I don't mind about kind of lopit stuff is like even ski speed. If you're really fit, you, you can probably win most of the time, no matter. And like what you said, dialed in, it's not just um, things like that out of your control, like how fast are my skis or how well are they working, but it's everything from technique to strategy, hitting the course at the right moment. And yeah, I'm kind of curious, like when you're in the pack, can you look around and sense that, hey, I'm as fit as these guys. Uh, I, I'm skiing technically as sound as them. Uh, my skis seem to be working well. And the only difference is maybe like a belief element or they always, they're so familiar with the courses. They know exactly when to make the right moves. Is it more that, or I guess, yeah, like, can you kind of explain for the casual fan who goes, man, it seems like our guys are always in this no man's land of 30 to 45th. And, and, you know, you hear Devin Kershaw say like, well, you just, they just got to believe or something like that. It's like, well, is it really <laughs> that simple or, or like, yeah, like what, what is your calculus of the, uh, the gap, I guess, that needs to be closed or that you guys are trying to close? No, it's a good question. And I feel like it might, the answer might vary depending on who you ask, but for my feeling personally, especially this year has been like, I feel like my fitness is on par with some of the best guys. My skis have been really good. Uh, I feel like my technique is more or less good enough. So then when you have all of those feelings just, and still have some like lackluster results, you sort of have to face why is this happening? And it's, it's like I said, it's these like stupid little things of like, I paced this race terribly. I went way too hard up the big hill and then just died on the flat part. And then that's where I lost you know, 20 spots or I, yeah, just like skied this downhill terribly and then fell or like, I feel like it's really impressive to me how, and I don't know if it's just that they have so much experience at this level racing in Norway and at these like really competitive domestic circuits, but it feels like these best guys are just like such like good skiers in every aspect of the sport, not just like, cause you, you come here and you're like, I'm fit. I have good technique. I have good skis. Like I'm good, you know? But there's all these other factors that have such a big impact on your result that I feel like um, that's like the things that the, the best guys are so good at. And they just I think for, it's probably second nature for them at this point. But um, that's the stuff that I've been like really trying to play catch up on and learn just, oh, here's this thing I never had to face when I was in the U.S. And it's actually really important. And yeah, I got to get better at that or else it doesn't matter these other kind of big obvious things like you're going to be behind those guys. Yeah. It's uh we have this clip on my show. I always play it. It's of Kershaw saying, you got to get in that pack and make it rain. And and I always laugh. But now <laughs> I'm like, maybe that actually, it, like what you said, it's all these invisible things that kind of keep an athlete's speed high throughout a race, taking a downhill yeah. here, doing one extra push there. And it's like for the Europeans, it's like second nature. It's second nature. And we haven't, we haven't grown up in as cutthroat of an environment where like, if you mess up on one of those things, even at a U.S. junior, you know, you're kind of in trouble. Like, I, I think that probably, it does have something to do with it. Yeah, I, totally. I, 
But and I'll ask you more questions on like maybe a development thing later. But but going back to even like Bidestol and, you know, I think you raced there before the World Cup started, too. And uh, I don't know if you were like, I, I can't remember from reading your blog before I did Ruka, you know, you, you weren't like super excited about that, but kind of explaining how it's really actually almost more competitive at those races than yeah. the World Cup one. But I'm kind of curious, like, how did you feel? Uh, you as a skier, even in that short time, you you kind of grew from like that first time uh, racing by the sun to the last time. Well, I wish I could say that I like had a better under you know the fact that I raced there for the second time last weekend and still like paced the race so badly is not you know super impressive because you would think oh he's already skied this course once like he should <laughs> have a better yeah. grasp on how to do it but um. Like definitely your point about my point about just like the level of competition in domestic Norway, like especially at Bajestolen because that's their uh, for a lot of those domestic guys that's sort of their most important race of the year because it almost yeah. determines whether like kind of the structure of their season whether they're going to get right. these certain World Cup starts and stuff which they need to make World Champs and all this stuff. So right. just kind of like rolling up to that, um, like first week on snow, first year on a new ski brand and just like all right i'm sure this will go fine and then you just like see the level of these guys and you just kind of get your doors blown off it's like oh my gosh you know and yeah. and I, I my girlfriend's from norway so i have actually a decent amount of experience like racing in these Nordic cups and stuff and i think for sure like when all of those guys are really going for it like those races can feel more competitive than a world cup in a way like yeah and you see that in like the lillehammer world cup when those guys when they get nations group starts and all of a sudden there's 12 Norwegian dudes in like the skate race, like they were, they had nine guys in the top 10, you know? And I feel like there's another 10, 15 guys at home who could have easily on a good day been in, you know, somewhere in that top 10 as well. So it's just like, uh, I don't know. It's really crazy. Like they have so many good guys and the six that they get to start on the world cup on any given weekend are maybe not even the best six. There's like 20 sitting at home who are itching to go. So like, you know, doing a race with like all of those guys is pretty wild. And uh, to that same point, I think like when they all get to be in that environment week after week after week for their entire careers, like you see how they just become such good skiers and like being in mass starts with all of these really good skiers neck to, you know, neck to neck. And it's not like a surprise to me that they develop such advanced like skiing skills versus if you're a super talent in the US, like not saying I was by any means, but one of these guys who just can win without even having, having to think about it. Like, I don't think you ever develop those sort of like critical high level skiing tactics and skills that a lot of these guys just are forced to develop. Yeah, I know it's so true. And then even, you know, they talk about the U S Olympic track trials. If you win the hundred meter dash, like you're going to get a gold at the Olympics because the cutthroat nature of just surviving the U S trials. <laughs> and it kind of is like, uh, yeah, I think of that in Norway too, where you're right. They're showing up very peak fitness almost all of them maybe you know because they have to just to do it and they know that yeah yeah i can afford this because if i can survive this like i'm guaranteed podiums here there throughout the year Yeah, right but um as far as davos goes then coming up here how familiar with the course have you skied at all then since you guys have gotten there or have you done Uh, it we we went for a went for a little ski this morning just like skated around the course so I I have and I've I've watched it a decent amount of times just like on the World Cup and last year before I did the tour to ski I was uh, staying in Davos as well so I like I, I've definitely skied a bit here but never never raced here or right. uh, uh, yeah so for sure like one of the goals of this week is going to be doing some intervals on the course and hopefully trying to feel how that how it flows and stuff like that. 
yeah, I mean, how important is that? Like for you, even just knowing, okay, yeah, you're going to get to 60 K an hour on this one hill, like be ready for it. I would, I would (laughs) think stuff like that even is kind of, I mean, obviously you got to know how the course flows, like you said, but I mean, is some of that just like course recon to going, all right, here's where we got to take this turn wide to keep speed or, hey, this hill will really, or this part of the course really fits my strengths. Like, do you do that as well as you're sort of doing your, uh, you know, or, or the next couple of days? Yeah, I mean, it's something that, you know, looking back on what I think I've done wrong on other races that I'm going to really try to do here. And it's one of those things that I think the best guys, like it's so ingrained that they do that. Like um, in the U.S., I think a lot of times me or one of the top skiers could just go to like a sort of lower level race and just win the race without even looking at the course because you just know that your like skis and fitness and all these other things are going to be enough that you can ski the course pretty stupid and just still, (laughs) you know, have an overall average speed that's going to be enough. But I think especially at altitude on a course like this where there's pacing is so important, like I think the best guys for sure will have a really detailed plan of how they're going to ski each part of the course uh, almost to the point of like on this hill, I'm going to V1 each lap and then I'm going to switch to V2 at this point and I'm going to take this corner wide and then I'm going to make sure I can tuck skate on this part. Like they, they get pretty, you know, detailed with it because like when the margins are one or two seconds being five spots, like every single inch of the course really matters. So um yeah, like on, on the day before the race, like even you're you're skiing around doing some intensity and you're it's like forefront of your mind is how am I going to ski this course as smart as possible? Because you can't just be like fit and go out there and just hammer and expect it to be enough, you know? Right. Yeah. And then even I suppose once you're out there, you leave the start gate, you might see, well, the snow is a little faster two feet over here and you're making like immediate right. decisions. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that happened. You guys had some falling snow, right? Uh, on the last day, uh, was that by the storm that you had that kind of a rough conditions? Yeah. I mean, so stuff like that, I think sometimes viewers aren't realizing (laughs) that kind of thing either, where it's like, oh my gosh, all the things you talked about, which you could be, I suppose, like a Peyton Manning of course recon, where you've got like a notebook and you're charting these things out. (laughs) Like what Matt Wickham had his picture of, uh, Clavo's uh, track on a sprint course where it was like his line was the only one versus everyone else. I mean, yeah. Are you kind of like that? Are you a cerebral skier? Uh, or how would you describe yourself kind of like as an athlete, mentally, <laughs> physically, what, do you, what your kind of strengths are, I guess? Um, I think just like growing up in the Minnesota sort of like high school scene where I was in a lot of those later years, just like winning races, without even having to put much thought into it. And then in Midwest J and Q's and junior nationals, like doing well without much thought. Like, I feel like kind of my entire U S career up until maybe a few years ago has been just like reinforced by this. Like you don't have to put much thought into the, like, like as long as I show up fit with good technique and good skis, like I'll do well. And I don't have to like think that much about the little stuff. But I think like going to NMU and spending a lot of times with time with like the Norwegians there, like um, some of these guys just hearing how they approach races and like you, lo- you start like losing sometimes to these guys who, you know, you're fitter than you yeah. like, no, I'm much fitter than this guy. My technique is just as good. Like how did he just beat me in this 10 K race? And you start to like pay attention to, Oh, he like, you know, he skis this race a certain way, like completely different than me. And once you like kind of start 
paying attention to that stuff. I feel like it's that that's been like tried to be my focus now in these last few years is like getting better at that side of it. And I feel like there's, I still have so much to, to learn on that front. And like, it's really been in my face this year, I think with 10 Ks, just like how important it is. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm that type of skier yet, but I'm trying to like transition from the just <laughs> go hard and ho- hope for the best to like a more just intelligent, almost like formula one course. Like, how am I going to do all these little things type of skier? Cause I think that's how you have to be. If you want to do d- like get the most out of your body. Um, if some of that stuff becomes burdensome, you know, like the, uh, you know, yeah, oh wow, but- now, now you've reached where you're trying to get like the extra 1%, you know? Yeah, I think it can be really daunting at first, just because, like I said, it, it feels really unfair sometimes when you're like, I know I'm fit. I know my skis are good. I mm-hmm. feel like my technique is good, but like I'm still losing to or I'm, I'm not doing as well as I think I should be. But right. at the same time, I think it's like a really cool part of the sport that like it's not just about who has the highest VO2 max or who's the strongest. Like there are all of these other avenues to get extra time. And, you know, there's like so many aspects of the sport that you can work on to get faster in a race and I think that's why you see guys like Clavo who have like really perfected this side of the sport like they can win so consistently because they're just like so advanced compared to everyone else who is just like I'm going to be the fittest guy out there you know so I think it's really daunting but I I do like it about the sport and it's like a fun challenge to try to tackle but I'm I'm definitely like really (laughs) feel like I have a lot to go on it how is that you, you brought the 10k distance pacing how, how is that and also the 20k uh what have the conversations been like with you other athletes coaches I mean I know you you like are familiar with a 20k in college but it's different I'm sure on the world cup on a world cup course uh yeah talk a little bit about what's that been like as you guys sort of figure this distance out I think the 10k especially has been a really big adjustment for a lot of guys because like you would think it's not that different from a 15 K it's just five K less, but it actually ends up being a, a, an almost entirely different race by the, just by how much harder you have to go the whole time, basically. So I feel like it just becomes this like really uh, delicate balance of like going hard enough the entire time, because you just don't have that much time to sort of like mess around, but yeah. also, you know, a 10 K is still absolutely long enough that if you blow up, like you're going to ruin your race as you right. saw my race in bite to stolen, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's like I had a race where I was in 55th at the first split and then ended up in 30th. Like, okay, that that's fine. But I feel like uh, I need to go faster in that first split. So then in bite to stolen, I'm like first on the first split and then lose so much time in the last 3K. So for me, it's been trying to like find that perfect balance of going hard enough, but not too hard where I feel like in a 15K, you could really just kind of settle into a nice pace. And it was felt, it felt a little bit more relaxed because you just had more time to work with. Sure, and, sure. and I think the other side of it is just like the margins have been so tight in these 10 Ks. like, um, just like in all of the 10 Ks so far, pretty much it's like a few seconds in either direction can be like five, 10 spots. And so it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it seems like there's less separation between everyone when the short like race gets a little shorter. And as far as period one goes here, what does the season look like for you after this weekend? Will you do the tour to ski again and then come home? Or like, what do you, what do you know about your, your schedule? Uh, I don't know hundred percent whether I'm like going to qualify for the tour to ski yet. So I guess that'll okay. come down to this weekend pretty much. But uh, the goal this season is to like ski as much world cup as possible. But by all means, like if I go home for us nationals and, 
a few super tours after that, like hopefully come back to world cup after that. But um, it's like a, a good problem to have, I guess that the U S guys have been skiing so, so much better than in previous years. Like we have a lot of distance guys who are doing pretty well in the criteria to make the tour to ski. So it's, it's like good, healthy competition with the, the guys team and like the level is just a lot higher than in previous years. So I have, I have some work to do maybe on, on Sunday. What, what are the, do you know, like specific criteria for tour to ski and or period two, like where it's like, okay, I have to place top 30. I, I just kind of forget about what, a, what the uh, criteria Yeah, There's like are. super, super objective criteria. And we all kind of know like where we have to be like the one that I'm probably my route would be like being top 40 on the over or on the distance, like points list gotcha. for uh, world cup points. And After like right now I'm, th- I'm, I'm 38th. So it's okay. like, if I can just race well enough on Sunday to stay in that top 40, then I'm probably good. But um, at the same time, hey, uh, it's would like, you, uh, yeah. when you say, when you say probably good, are you saying good for tour to ski or for the next for period two or both for, for, for the tour to ski. And then okay. I think it would be like, based on your, tour to ski performance whether you make the it's always like how do you do in the current period to make the next period so okay um yeah okay yeah and last year you were the only guy who finished the tour to ski right (laughs) yeah right (laughs) i mean that's i think that's kind of sweet how like you know and that was like your first time on the world cup kind of that did you race before tour to ski too or was that like your call up i forget no i i i uh was like the period one super tour leader after okay. uh like cable and Duluth super tours last year so then I earned a spot on the tour to ski and those were like my first world cups and for sure that was just like a big whirlwind like uh, yeah. cluster um burning the candle at both ends a lot of days and just like being so nervous and excited all the time but like it was it was cool to finish that for sure but I, I don't think it was any like super spectacular <laughs> results but it was it was fun to like just get that experience yeah, I mean, just surviving it. Oh, what's that last stage like? <laughs> that was for sure the hardest race I've ever done by far. Like, it's pretty funny when you're like six stages into a, a tour and you're like thinking, your like brain is telling you it wants to like DNF, <laughs> like, like, oh, draw, like, oh, like it'd be so nice to drop out right now. And you yeah. like literally have 10 minutes left in the last stage. But like, yeah, that's, that's easily the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, I kind of was figuring you'd say, yeah, that, that was, a whole learning experience. What, what can you say about it? And now if you do get to go this year, what are some of the adjustments that you think, you know, managing your energy through a, a week long or a tour, basically, uh, are there some things you kind of can say, well, I have goals now and I want to try and accomplish this. You know, have you kind of looked ahead at that as well? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think a big reason why I really, really do want to qualify for the tour is that just, I, I think having that experience last year will make me so much more prepared this year. And just since there's so many races in a short amount of time, like energy management is so important. And I think when I was just like so nervously excited all the time and just like not sleeping that well, cause I was so nervous and so like excited in the morning to race, like you sort of just get really, really tired by those late stages. Cause you, like I said, just burning the candle at both ends, like racing really hard and being nervously excited all day in between. Like, I feel like I just going into it this year could be much more relaxed and sort of just feel a little bit more Zen with the whole thing. And yeah, I think it would be just much more calming to know you've done it once before. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I can imagine the logistics side of it is half of the battle too. Like finishing a race, cooling down, traveling, 
like that. Yeah, it's kind of a whirlwind there. Uh, you should come back and you could you could show the Cedar Skier Sprinter van. We can go around on a little uh, marathon tour. I'll show you how that what that you know filling up with your own gas, driving <laughs> here there. Like it'll make yeah, the it's a whole thing, like you know. <laughs> exactly. Um. So okay, some fun questions. Hopefully, I, I should I shouldn't say fun. They're more just like random spitballing here. Um. I do want to start out with a little bit of a techie question. I know people who listen to my show, they they appreciate that. So you, I think, have skied Fisher, Modzeus. What are you on now? You Is it Rosignol or Atomic? I'm on Rosignol, yeah. Okay, okay. So I know you're kind of like limited probably in what you can bash or say in terms of other brands, but what can you say about the differences between each of these skis, skate and classic? You know, are there some some things you've noticed where it's like, oh, okay, Fisher had this, Modzeus had this. Uh, yeah. What can you say about the, those three? Cause you got, you're kind of, yeah, you've had a high level experience on all of them. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. No, I think all three of those companies make really good skis and you can see that by like guys on the world cup with those brands doing super well. Right. Um, I think like for sure that some of those different brands will like, uh, work a little better for a certain type of skier. Um, or at least I have felt like personally, my style of skiing is like more suited for a really like stiff active ski that gives you a lot in return which i've i feel like rosie has felt the best for me in that way just like the skate skis especially they have like a really nice edge and they have like a pretty bouncy camber that i feel like when you're strong like gives you a lot in return when you push and that's been something i feel like i missed on some on like some of the other brands was just feeling like the skate skis were a little bit more like low riding a little more like dead feeling almost which other people really like um and I think same with the classic, just having like a ski that has so much like energy return in terms of like you set a strong kick and you just get like a really nice, like fast close of the pocket in return. Like, I think that's been really nice with Rosignol, but I think like, yeah, all three of those brands make really good skis and like for sure Matsus was so nice to me and gave me such good service. So it was like a bummer to leave, but um, I was just doing some testing in the spring and felt like the Rosies just suited my style of skiing a lot better, but there's, you got guys like, Ben Ogden, who love his Matsus and wouldn't ever switch, I don't think. And yeah. for sure, like with Fisher, like most of the guys in the World Cup use them. So they, they make quite good skis too. So I think like just like tr- you should try them out if you can. But like right. for me and my style of skiing, a little bit more like big and powerful, I, I feel like Rosignol has worked really well. I'm kind of interested if like Fisher will pull a Nike and be able to at some point have like the 4% edge, you know, in the terms of the running shoe was when the Heliums showed up. I don't know if that was like more of just a marketing here they are for the Olympics or if some athletes were kind of like, oh man, those are like way better skis, you know, like, is there ever a little bit of a either concern there or do you see something like that on the horizon right now? It seems like it's not as big a deal, but a lot of the best skiers are on Fisher. It's like, is that because they have the most money or they actually have the best skis, you know? Yeah, I think it's probably a combination, uh, like, but mostly money. I think, like, yeah, when Fisher can just like throw really big contracts at guys, and like, uh, probably whatever brand is Claybo on, like Claybo is on, is going to be the brand that a lot of kids want to use. Right. So, like, <laughs> I'm sure they're getting a lot in return for those sponsorships. But um, I feel like at the moment, like, there's not such a crazy disparity in how the skis are made and like the technology and stuff to the point where I feel like there's quite a lot of like parity between the brands like it's not like oh if you're on fisher like you have just an unfair advantage or something like i think you never know like i guess with nike it was that whole thing like even these guys on other shoe brands like they feel like if they're not using the four percent they're like 
actively missing out. Right. Um, but but I, I haven't felt that by any means, like in yeah. skiing yet. But it, if I, I bet it could happen. Like, I feel like we're still kind of in the infancy in some in some of these like technologies that it's definitely not impossible. That's yeah, it's maybe some maybe part of the game at some point. I don't know. <laughs> Depends. Yeah, on no, it's, it's an interesting thought for sure. Um, but I, I've been really happy with my skis this this season, too. And like, like I said, that's been a source of frustration f- for me is like feeling like maybe for the first time, like my skis are actually as good or better than like the best guys in the world that I'm skiing around. Yeah. And like, I'm still not having some of these results. And and it's just comes back to like some of these sort of rookie mistakes that I hopefully can learn from. But yeah, it's just like, it's, it it's can be nice in some ways when you feel like your skis are really bad and you're like, Oh, like that's why I'm yeah. not doing better. But like the U S waxing has been so good this year and our skis have been really good. So I, I don't feel like I can, that's right. not been a, an excuse at all. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, that's awesome. Um, I got to, got to talk a little bit about training with you actually specifics, because when I asked some of your teammates before the Ruka broadcast, like who they thought was poised for a breakout season, many said you, and their reason was tied back to like, he's just really disciplined with his training, you know, and I'm curious what your general training philosophy is and how that sort of manifests itself in specific so like what what your hours are like what are some key workouts what's the distribution between different training modes uh and if you're not specific enough i'll have to just keep drilling and drilling and drilling (laughs) uh i i feel like my general approach is like usually more on the conservative side in terms of like um going really easy on all of my easy stuff like not that hard on a lot of my l3 and just like in general, always trying to like make sure I manage my energy really well. Like I don't feel like I ever go into like such a massive hole, even in like a really big training block. I'm never just like shattered. And I think maybe some people would say I'm like leaving something on the table, like I could train harder. But at the same time, I feel like I'm able to really avoid like injury and illness and sort of just have this like big picture consistency that I think makes me fitter year over year. Um, and just, yeah, just sort of like trying to avoid big setbacks and just be, make sure the like big picture is always really smart so that I can just like knock workouts out week after week. And I feel like that's what makes me fitter rather than just like any single brutal OD or like brutal interval session. I don't feel like I really have many of those ever. It's more just like simple stuff like day after day, month after month that like after, you know, five years you look back like, oh, I'm much fitter now, but it, it wasn't like such a grind to get there. Yeah, that that whole idea of make sure you can do tomorrow's workout, and that's the yeah that right. kind of dictates. It's 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 a cool thing, a good overarching. Uh, do you have like specific workouts that you look forward to though more than others? You know, like would you? Oh, uh, I just love my long skates or like interval sessions or <laughs> runs or uh, you know, like is there something like that where you you wish you could just do that all the time, but you know you can't. <laughs> I I think I like have much more fun with intervals in general, like it definitely depends on my mood in the morning, but sometimes I can be pretty grumpy when I have like an OD on the schedule. Cause I'm just like, Ugh, <laughs> like I have to go, you know, run in the woods for three hours and I, yeah. I can get like kind of grumpy about it not wanting to do it. But I'm always like really excited for like a six times eight minutes skate L3 session or something. Cause I feel like it's just such a like fun. You can, there's just so much you get to work on in that amount of time. Um, where I, yeah, I mean, if I'm in a really nice place, I love going for a nice long run or ski or something, but for sure on some of these like dog dog weeks of the summer where you're doing like yeah. 30 hours. Like I think sometimes I'm like pretty grumpy before these long, <laughs> especially like in the afternoon when you have like a two, three hour 
run or ski in the afternoon and you're just like really yeah. don't want to do it. And I, I, I'm like pretty minutes. proud that I always like do them. Like I never let like mental not wanting to do it be a reason for not doing it. It's usually just like if I feel way too tired, but for sure sometimes I'm like grumpy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, I think you're, you have this Spartan persona kind of like I, I tell my friend uh, that now Zach, Zach Ketterson's like the Captain America of USA. <laughs> and, and we're like, I, I had this question written. I was like, is the um, is the U.S. ski team's like renewed emphasis on body image awareness, like a direct reaction to you joining the team kind of? And they're like, we got, you know, Zach is so jacked and he just he's ripped <laughs> that we need to make sure people you don't have to all aspire to be like Zach Ketterson. It's OK, no. Uh, but but seriously, like you, you are kind of it seems like that that person where you see on Instagram, it's like he's the guy climbing on the treadmill and it's it probably has been set at 14 percent for the last two hours you know like <laughs> yeah thank you that's a that's a compliment i appreciate it <laughs> yeah but um and it's cool though that i like how you, it's kind of a surprise actually that you said like you know i'm never trying to kill myself like that like i'm always trying to look ahead to the next workout and all of those things i mean what would you say is kind of bet is that the secret to your development through from age 12 and up you know or or do you think there's it's probably a combination of a lot of things but yeah what, what would you say has been the key to your um i think it's just been that like sort of big picture approach that's like and, and it takes a lot of patience in this sport to like know that maybe you could have trained more, you could have done this harder and you might've gotten like short-term better results. But I think just by like always kind of thinking about that, I, I do want to be in the sport for a long time. And like, hopefully my lifetime peak is when I'm 30 or something and not when I'm 20. Like yeah. for that reason, I didn't feel like such urgency when I was, you know, 18 or 19 to like be the best in the next matter of a few years. So like, for example, I never had like, this massive jump of training volume from year to year. Um, like, I feel like some guys, when they really want to take that next step, they'll go from like, Oh, I trained 600 hours last year and I'm going to like, screw it. I'm training a thousand hours next year. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you can have really good results with that short term, but I think you see so often like those guys struggle so much down the line with like illness and chronic injury and just like burnout that I've just sort of like adopted the more patient approach of like, I'm not going to increase my training to more than, you know, six to eight percent every year and sort of like slowly climb the ladder and hopefully just like always be able to say that I'm better this year than I was last year and then eventually you know by the time I'm late 20s early 30s like hopefully I'm quite good and um yeah you can always surprise yourself with like developing more in one year than you thought you might have but for sure I think like the the best approach for me has just been like patient and big picture yeah I mean you you kind of this might be a good time to sort of ask even uh the uh, the development question that I kind of wanted to pose your way is because you sort of are emblematic of of the US ski development pipeline in in action you know you were a good high school skier went to college did you compete all like 5 years even right did you have like a uh red shirt yeah year? i had a uh, a red shirt year like my would have would have been senior year okay so, I mean, yeah, like taking every opportunity your way, JNQs, all that stuff, um, and then super tour to earn your World Cup spots. Like now you're kind of in the meat grinder, but can you look back and go, okay, yeah, this is really working well, or maybe this needs some 
some little tweak at some stage in the process or or do you even think more philosophically about it like oh man we need a, a whole overhaul you know my girlfriend's from norway and this is kind of what her experience is like this is what the club system over there is like i mean maybe you don't like bother yourself too much thinking about that but i'm wondering just for the betterment of we want more kids skiing and and ultimately a better team usa what, what needs to happen in your mind i think that we should like stress more of the like everyone's path to being their best it can be like really different especially coming from like minnesota high school skiing where just by sort of nature of our system, like a lot of the people aren't as developed at a given age than someone in Norway would be, who's been right. racing at a high level since they were really young. Like maybe some of these guys just discovered skiing when they were 15 years old. Like for those guys, I think it's really important to stress that there's not this just like sense of urgency to be the best junior or the best U23, because like the, like if you start skiing when you're 16, like you're not going to be the best 19 year old in the world. You're like, you're just kind of too late to it, but that doesn't mean you can't be really good later on. Right. And so I think by like, you know, stressing too much about like results at some of these like junior or U23 championships, like we sort of can scare, scare off some of these like really good talents who aren't maybe are like late bloomers. And just, uh, I think, it, yeah, it's just an important point. Like th this, when you have this like big picture approach, I think like those guys can feel a little bit more at peace with like not being sort of like on track according to some metric, you know? Um, and that's not like, by all means, if you like win world juniors, that's still like you're, you would rather, it's not like it's bad to be good at these certain stages, but I also don't think that we need to like say, if you aren't at that level, like your career is just like ruined. You're not on track. You can't ever be the best because there's like different paths for everyone. So. Um, I think I just think maybe at times the U.S. can be a little too like gung ho about like you need to be this at this age, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because it makes sense that in Norway, they might be more like that because of the club system. It sort of develops these athletes, very strong skiers at a very young age. And so it's more cutthroat. Like if you're 26 in Norway, it's it's hilarious how they'll be like, yeah, this guy's kind of old. He's still been fighting for his first, you know his first world cup start or something. And, and it's like a 26 and you're sort of washed up. And in America, like you might be just coming on at 26, because like you said, maybe you started at 16 or even if you didn't, even if you've been skiing your whole life, um, you, you haven't been skiing against amazing competition your whole life. And that's a huge difference. And so I, I kind of would agree with you a little bit where maybe we make a mistake by going, well, if we're looking at what Norway does, then yeah, you should be top five at world juniors by 1920 and if you're not sorry we can't it's like well we almost have to have a whole different american way if if we do the high school route and we have a huge country we just don't have as many skiers and it, it's kind of a dilemma i mean i sort of feel i feel like it's one of those where people who probably say there's one answer don't really understand it or are just being kind of ignorant because it's so complex you know like yeah i mean other factors like in in a perfect world you would have like more like more mature skiers from a younger age because i think that's what norway does so well is like yeah it, your average like 15 16 year old in norway is like from a maturity and just sort of like experience in the sport standpoint like maybe at the same point as like a 23 year old american or 24 year old american so like and, and that's just sort of like a there's i don't know it's just like so ingrained in their culture just like smart training principles and this like idea of building up your volume over time and just like, I don't know, skiing is just so big in their culture that 
I don't know how to like explain it really, but I just like didn't even really know what World Cup skiing and all this stuff was until I like was, yeah. you know, at maybe till like I was 17 or 18 by, and which at that point, like some of these Norwegians are already so damn good, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. And it's not, like I said, it's not to say if you are a really good junior, like you should be worried or something like you used to like for sure. It's, it's never bad to be good, <laughs> but right. um, yeah, it's just tough when I think, just be, uh how it is in so many places in the u.s that we have so many of these like late to the sport guys that we like scare a lot of them off by telling them that they're like not good enough at a given state like stage in their development and i feel i feel like you see that a lot on the super tour like people just like don't immediately go to the world cup and have a huge impact and they just like kind of hang up the skis like okay i'm never gonna get there like um, i think the world cup is just a, a step like any other step that we have in our careers that is like you know, it's possible to conquer that step, but you need to be patient just like you were when you were a junior or a college skier or anything else. Cause like my first years at NMU racing CCSA races, like I was getting crushed, you know, and yeah. it's, it was just more normal. It's like, Oh yeah. Like you're just a freshman. Like, of course you're <laughs> yeah. going to be better when you're a senior. Right. But like right. for some reason people get to their like first second years as a pro and they're like, man, I'm like not having a world cup impact. I'm like never going to get there, but right. you just need to have like patience and just like you did at any other level, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, you bring up a good point where you talk about kind of that, if, if the U S skiing is like, you have to have these results at a younger age, the pressure that a, a parent or a kid would feel too. I, I often am like, Oh, that parent's way too serious about this dumb U 14 thing, but it's like, yeah, but the way the system is set up, if their kid is fourth instead of third at this podunk u14 event now they don't get asked to go here and now they don't get asked to go here and pretty soon it's like this this yeah cataclysmic series of a, a chain of events and yeah brian fish tried to walk me talk me off the ledge actually when i asked him kind of a question like that he's like don't worry we're like looking at talent all you know from the bigger picture too <laughs> uh but you know sometimes we had we had this kid in locally who ran a 9 12 two mile at altitude at the colorado state meet and he also was second overall in our high school um state cross country meet so he's a phenomenal athlete incredible genes and really skiing he just hasn't skied much like he's a triathlete mm -hmm. and a runner more and so it's like okay a kid like that i feel like there's got to be some u.s ski team scout that's going uh have you thought about like taking skiing seriously or something you know because you're looking at a kid who probably can run 845 really at sea level and has a skiing background at all and sometimes i feel like those are like the kids that like other sports in america we find you know, because their talent gets discovered and sometimes in skiing, it's so closed off almost because of what you said. Like if you're not producing these results at a young age, you're not in the special system. Good luck. You know, you kind of buck that trend a little bit, even Minnesota high school. I think I like how they're set up because you could be a state champ at the high school level and go on Colorado. It's like, if you're not in a club, you're, you're just like kind of a nobody. It's sort of a weird dynamic. I think in our country where like different regions sort of prioritize the sport differently so then we we sometimes i think lose talent but i know that's getting into the weeds a little bit i don't know if you want to respond to that <laughs> no i mean i think minnesota as in general it like is really held back and benefits from like the high school system because it like kind of ha it allows everyone to sort of compete and ha ha you know there's a place for everyone in high school skiing um but I, I think definitely when you look at other regions of the U.S., like maybe Alaska or out east, like some of them just tend to like consistently produce more advanced skiers at a like younger age, just because they maybe have like are more similar to the Norwegian model of like training more from a young age and 
just being like yeah. kind of being around skiing excellence all the time that it's sort of ingrained. Whereas like, if you just go sign up for your high school team, cause you like saw a flyer for it, like <laughs> you're not necessarily like aware of the existence of world cup skiing or anything like that. Um, but I mean, like the U.S. ski team has a hard job of like, it, of course, you need to have some way to objectively select people for these teams and identify talent. But like, um, I think it's more just on on the job of coaches in general to like stress to their athletes. Like if you do want to decide to be a skier and try to become the best skier in the world, like your path might look different than yeah. this guy who grew up in Oslo and has been like training with Petter Nortug's club for or whatever right, for yeah. his whole life, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, okay. Just a couple, couple more questions. One's kind of a, about on the U S ski team, the guy side, I know they talk a lot about the girls having like a really good camaraderie and all that, like on your, on the guy, for the guys group, who's sort of the like ringleader. Who's the, who's the guy who's like your, I don't know if it's the same guy, the guy who's like vocally the leader, uh athletically competitively and also the guy who's like this is what we're doing tonight or we're all this is what's funny and i set the tone <laughs> you know like there's, i always feel like a team has that guy too where someone cracks a joke and they all look to him like was that funny should we all laugh at it <laughs> um but yeah what's the dynamic like on the guy's side i don't know i feel like in the, this fall or like this period one especially like we've all been really inspired and in looking up to like ben ogden just because he's uh he, he like just oozes so much confidence and just like is such a laid back guy, like doesn't often wear his like heart on his sleeve. And is, I think he's just a guy that people sort of use as like a barometer for how they should be feeling sometimes. Cause he, he, he's had such good results in distance and sprinting and just sort of seems to be so figured out what works for him. And I don't know, I feel like he's a guy who like, even though he's really young, like a lot of the guys on the team have really like looked to him as a, sort of like team leader in some ways as like, and then of course you have just like the veterans on the team, like Scott Patterson and Kevin Boulder, who I feel like are always going to be there for just like showing the young guys, how, how you, how life on the world cup is. But I think a lot of us, yeah, have been like really inspired by Ben Ogden in particular. Okay. And then um, second, just way out there question. You ran the Berkey trail half marathon this summer. And my older brother was in third. And so I was like, <laughs> whatever you do, Tom, you cannot lose to any team Berkey athletes. And then we were, we were like talking about, whoa, dude, you beat Zach Kedersen. That's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> did you know that, were you trying, I, I don't know, I can't remember what the gaps were there. Were you like disappointed you didn't get a podium? Or I was kind of trying to explain to Tom. I was like, yeah, well, he probably like roller skied 26 hours that week. and was like, oh, I have to show up for this event because it's a team <laughs> Berkey thing. <laughs> I mean, that? like that, that uh, race definitely like fell at the end of a pretty massive training block for us. So like, <laughs> but, but of course I like went into that race wanting to do really well. And yeah. uh, like, maybe if I knew he was your brother from the start, I would have tried harder to <laughs> like that, that. I thought that was pretty funny, but um, <laughs> no. I think like, actually he just like dropped me in the first like K where it's like on the power lines. And then we just sort of like maintained that gap the rest of the race to some extent. So I was like, remember being really frustrated that I didn't just like go with him. Yeah. Cause it was, it felt really dumb. Like, you know, he put all this time on me immediately and then we're just like running the same pace, except like <laughs> yeah. a minute apart, you know? Yeah. 
So it felt like yeah. if I would have just maybe suffered a little bit to keep up with him, maybe we could have finished closer. But but he's, yeah. he was really impressive. Like, I definitely went as hard as I could that day. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know if you guys were – if you uh, talked to him at all. And he, he tried to talk to Garrett Heath. Garrett Heath was on my show, like, the week before that. And so yeah. I was kind of telling him, like, oh, yeah, Garrett's going to be there. And, of course, we, like, grew up watching Garrett Heath run that that was kind of our era we were little kids at northfield watching him at the state cross country meet so it's cool to like my brother actually had this pretty bad he had ulcerative colitis had to get like his his gut removed and everything so his comeback to running is even kind of cool that he's even out there doing stuff now but um anyway i I know he talked to him and i was like oh you should have talked to zach 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 i i have zach kederson skis that i use now and it's like this this huge (laughs) deal you have to keep getting better and better if you have some old mods you want to you have to get rid of you know i'll uh all right i'll keep it in mind (laughs) (laughs) but anyway yeah no that that's kind of cool uh that, that you're out there and running is so weird that way especially minnesota like the connections are so fascinating i think where you see these people and where they've been and like the day after I talked to Garrett Heath, I ran into Courtney DeWalter in Leadville. She lives in Leadville. And, and Heath was like, oh yeah, I saw Courtney in Switzerland at this trail race, you know? And it's like, the last time we had talked to each other was at the state high school, like 18 years ago. And it was like, they saw each other at some little place in France, like, hey, long time no see. You know, like I was just like, oh, yeah, well. that's so weird how running is like that and their career trajectory. But okay, yeah, sorry. Totally. Uh, kept you for a long time. I appreciate your time. I know you got to you rest up and everything. My last question, I always ask this to everyone, kind of the ultra serious one. What What's the point of all this for you? Like, what is your why? What gets you out of bed every morning and kind of motivates you to be the best that you can be? Um, I think like, it's just so cool to like pick something in your life, like whatever it is, skiing, it could be really any hobby or sport or anything. And just like decide, like, I want to try to reach my potential in this thing and like just the the drive of like trying to become the best you can be at any given thing and like all the hours and specialized training and like focus you put towards this one thing to just try to get better at it is like a really kind of like addictive process for me and I think and I know for some people that's like playing the piano or you know like playing chess like just just the thought of like I want to be as good as I I I just like want to see what my limit is in this like thing you know and for me that's like been cross-country skiing and like, that's just been what's like really motivated me year after year is like, I just want to like see what that limit is. And it's like really exciting to just like see yourself improve and not, yeah, just kind of like inch towards that, like best you'll ever become type of thing. Sweet. That's so awesome. And, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to ask you, you live in Wisconsin and Minnesota, right? Or your parents live in Wisconsin? Yeah, I grew up in Minnesota, but my parents moved to Rhinelander, Wisconsin, like basically my sophomore year of college so are you a packers fan or a vikings fan i'm a vikings fan okay okay i was like so what are your thoughts on the year so far has this been frustrating or good i don't know i think it's been overall quite good but there's been some like questionable losses that make me really question whether we're the real deal um <laughs> like i feel like we're a really good team but i could also see us just being like a playoff disaster so yeah i, yeah. I don't know i'm cautiously optimistic but it's it's minnesota sports so you know, right. Know. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> I, I didn't know if you, I, I see, I've seen pictures of you with like T-Wolves jerseys and stuff too. Like, are you actually more of a Wolves fan than a Vikings fan? Like, which one do you care yeah, about I'm definitely, more? I'm definitely more of a Timberwolves fan. Um, Like, I, we definitely pay attention to all Minnesota sports, but yeah. like as bad as the Timberwolves are <laughs> and, and have always been, they've definitely been my sort of like favorite team. And uh, 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was me growing up uh, as well. More of a basketball guy anyway. So I was like always into the wolves, but then I, I there was like that 15 year span that really killed it for me. I, I definitely still, keep track of it, but and I think honestly, if I had to like pick one, like which team wins a championship, I'd probably pick the wolves. Cause it'd be so crazy to see happen. Yeah, it's, right. it's kind of fun having the Vikings be like, how are they going to break our hearts? Like it's almost a, it makes it more exciting, but anyway, no, that's, that's cool that you've got the minister sort of spirit at best of luck you know this upcoming week i'll try to do my best in the broadcast and uh hopefully i'm not pronouncing names wrong i think i get that all the time and we have this ongoing <laughs> discussion about um clabo or clabo or clabo and i was i should have asked you that like when you're walking around like i feel like it's a north american thing to say his name clabo but everyone else says like clabo or clabo what's uh does he come yeah, up to you I mean and, like tell you that if my girlfriend was saying it, I think it's more like Clabo. Like, okay. uh, but I think just for the sake of like conversation, when I'm talking to another American, I just say Clabo, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like my, my girlfriend's name is Julie, but like, if you were to say it, the Norwegian name, it's like Julia, but I, I <laughs> yeah. just call like, I just call her Julie. I'm like, I know how your name is supposed to be said, but it just feels really wrong. So I'm just going to say Julie. And I feel like Clabo is the same thing. Uh, hopefully we didn't uncover <laughs> some relationship weed here that can't be the end of it no yeah, maybe that's like say. some yeah that's gonna maybe bubble up one day I another big thanks to zach Henderson for giving us his time midweek on the world cup and uh, we really appreciate the conversation we had a great time we hope you did too listening And if you liked these episodes, go check out some other ones that we have or check out cedarsgear.com and read some content as well. Uh, If you don't want to, that's fine too. Uh, Maybe get out for a nice ski or whatever. But anyway, you've been listening to the Cedars Gear Podcast here on Shovel Lake Public Radio. Keep on striving. Keep on skiing.